Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we are joined by Portland Trailblazers star CJ McCollum. Let's get it. This episode of the Vertical Podcast is brought to you by SoFi, a new kind of finance company that wants to help you to succeed. Whether you're an NBA player or someone who grannies free throws, we all have to make tough financial decisions. SoFi can help you make smarter ones, like refinancing your student loans, which saves members on average $19,000. Pro athlete or not, nobody wants to pay more than they have to. Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. This week, I am joined by Portland Trailblazers star, C.J. McCollum. C.J., thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You and I have had one hell of a time trying to get this podcast recorded. I, I literally, at one point today, I thought to myself, God may not want me to record this podcast with CJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a struggle, man. I'm happy we're able to get it and done now. It's funny because, you know, like booking guests for me has always been like one of the biggest challenges of this podcast. And, and I've had a lot of people either cancel or reschedule and, and I've had to shift things around. But it was actually on me this week because you were doing your camp in Ohio on Saturday. I canceled on you because I moved and my Wi-Fi has been, been acting up the last couple of days. So I appreciate you, man, just, just being flexible. Let it be known, CJ McCollum is flexible. <laughs> no problem. I'm, I'm in New York now, interning for the Players Tribune, so my days are on the long side, and then I'm not used to this New York traffic is sickening. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about this. You, since the season ended, you are like the busiest person in the world. I'm going to go through the list of things. These are just the things that I know that you've done. So you, <laughs> the season ended, and like a day later, you did a three-day guest spot on SportsCenter. From there, you flew to Turkey to see your brother, uh, who's playing professionally overseas in Turkey. You come back. I have no idea what you did in the interim, but then you hosted a basketball camp. You're doing an internship this week for the Players' Tribune. I think you have a, an interview set up with Adam Silver. During the season, you have two radio shows and a journalism program for students. My man, where do you find the time to do all this stuff? <laughs> I've always preferred to live a busy lifestyle just because it, it, it helps you know, keep me from thinking too much. I feel like when I'm able to you know, go from radio shows to you know, journalism programs, it, it, it keeps me involved outside of basketball. I feel like it's it's important to have an escape and to be able to, you know, DJ a radio station where I'm playing music and able to kind of be free and talk about Game of Thrones and just talk about random stuff. And then obviously when the season ends, usually you want to turn the page and kind of step away from it. But for me, it's it's a part of life in a sense that I want to build my, my resume off the court. So I did the, the sports center spot. I also, you missed one thing. I went to game two of the finals, okay. covered game two for ESPN and the NBA and did some Facebook live interviews as well. But besides that, I feel like it's important that we show a side outside of basketball, like with you doing your podcast and, and show that we have other interests. And it also, it helps us because our lives are so stressful trying to make the playoffs, trying to win in the playoffs, worried about injuries, worried about contracts, worried about our day-to-day life that, when you have something else outside of that, it, it helps kind of keep you focused and it allows your mind to escape. That's very interesting to me that you, that you call it sort of an escape. 
you know, a lot of people I think would assume that it's just sort of, you know, preparing for that second career, that next career after basketball. But for me, this, this isn't really an escape. It's just something it's, I guess it's fun to do, but it is partial in, in preparation to, to kind of dabble for the next thing. You and I talked over all-star break uh, in Toronto about your desire. Like you're one of the guys that has said like, no, this is what I want to do post-career. You want to be involved somehow in the media, whether it's being a personality, broadcasting, whatever it may be. And and I, I believe you told me your dream job was to be sort of like the next Michael Strahan, to do both. That's that's the dream, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a great blueprint to follow because obviously he's still involved with the NFL Network and he does his NFL countdown stuff, but he's able to step outside that realm and really show his his personality by doing, you know, he did the Good Morning America. He was on that for a while. Now he's partnered up with another television program that will be launching here shortly, and he's able to deal with different stuff. I love basketball, and it's going to be a part of my life forever, but I also want to be involved in entertainment. I want to be involved in everything else so that, you know, like you said before, diversifying that portfolio, that's crucial because they put us in a box as athletes and like, oh, we can only talk about this, but straight right. showing that we can do other things, look good in the suit, and still talk about basketball. Talking about sports, though, is not always the easiest thing. I don't know about you, but when I recently did uh, the NBA Countdown show and then SportsCenter, it's tough, man. It's not as easy as some people make it look. I think the hardest part for me is like trying to figure out what to do with my hands. Yeah, yeah I think the first time I went on Bristol, I watched myself right afterwards, and I was like, my posture's bad. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like looking in the camera, the lights are bright. <laughs> It's a different it's a different type of interview because we used to the one on ones where there's a camera in your face and you kinda can act however you want. This one, you're thinking like everybody's watching me. If I mess up this is on live television. They didn't give me a mic this time, but then the next time they gave me a mic and they're like, Raise the mic up, like put it right here by your tie and it was just a it was a different experience than one where it, it brings a different type of a nerve. Like where you get like there's game nerves and then there's like, Oh, I'm about to go on TV in front of all these people nerves. The first time I did it, my heart was literally beating through my chest. A lot of people don't realize this, too. So you're talking about, like, having the mic in your hand and they're telling you to raise the mic. Like, they're literally doing that while you're talking on live television. There's somebody in your earpiece talking to you. That, to me, was a huge challenge. Yeah, that, that's one of the things you got to get adjusted to is the earpiece, the levels of the earpiece, because sometimes it's too loud or not loud enough. And then I had a great moment in game, too, to where my earpiece went out, just stopped working. And they got me on live television for 30 seconds staring into the camera with, with like, warm-ups going on behind me and me looking like an idiot. Yeah. And I rewatched it, and they were like, why they play my man CJ like that on live television? They're like, go. And they kind of looked at me, and the mic went out. I didn't hear nothing, and I'm just standing there. It's funny because I think there's some people that, and you're one of them. I, I did watch your Sports Center spots. I didn't see Game Two, but I watched your Sports Center spots. And there's some people that are just you can tell there's they have a natural ability to sort of speak on camera, and you certainly have that. But you you almost have to like mold yourself and and sort of learn on the fly because it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes. And I, the guy I look at that has just like really improved from when he first started, and now I think he's awesome is is Jalen I think Jalen is is one of the best out there right now yeah Jalen's one of the guys I actually talked to and I've reached out to him just because of his transition he started off you know he was good but now he's he's taking it to new levels his vocabulary is better he mixes in slang with with terminology everyone can understand and I think his on-camera poise he's able to you know still bring that Detroit swagger but 
yeah. <laughs> show it in a professional manner so that, you know, households in Idaho, households in Oregon, households in Cali, they can all understand exactly what he's saying. And I think, like you said before, he didn't start off great. Chris Webber's another guy who didn't start off really well calling games, you know, doing more of the play-by-play stuff. Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, some of those guys started off shaky. Mark Jackson's really good now. He, he has, you know, a lot of catchphrases that are, you know, going on T-shirts and, and stuff like that. But I think it's interesting to see how, how people get better on camera. Obviously, they're studying film, they're taking classes, and they're kind of figuring out better ways to, you know, get across to the public. Yeah, the Players Association, I think, has done a great job of presenting guys opportunities to uh, sort of get acquainted with the process. Of course, there's Sports Center U that, that guys can go to, but also agents and then the producers of the different television shows have now kind of done a good job of uh, mixing in current players, you know, during the playoffs, especially when guys' seasons are done. I think it's fantastic, and I, and I love watching current guys sort of uh, work their way into that world. Um, let's talk about some basketball real quick. I want to ask you, first of all, do you believe in the basketball gods? Are you familiar with the basketball gods? <laughs> I am familiar with the basketball gods, and for a while there, I thought I was very cursed, you know, <laughs> fracturing my foot twice. And then and I think it always comes back. I feel like this question is leading you're leading me towards you know you guys' injuries, the injuries you guys face with the Clippers. Um, but I, I do believe in the basketball gods, honestly. I, yeah. I think that you know it comes full circle. It does. I normally don't get controversial on my podcast, but I, this may rub some Warriors fans the wrong way. But I would say that there's an argument to be made that the Warriors tested the basketball gods and the basketball gods came back to bite them. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to go down the list here and you can agree or not agree, but uh, it goes back. Let's start with the Joe Lacob piece in the New York Times. He had some quotes that maybe, I don't know if they're taken out of context, but he sort of asserted the Warriors dominance at a level that was better than any other franchise started there uh draymond of course you know with some extra stuff going on kicking and hitting people in certain body parts you know you had steph throwing his mouthpiece a couple comments that clay made these are all guys that i respect as competitor i'm just telling you this is the list of stuff that has happened now in this playoff run uh, and then of course you know this back and forth on twitter where you've got like Murray Spates tweeting out a baby bottle about LeBron. So there's all this stuff that's going on in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, are the basketball gods going to rain down on these guys? And they did. I, 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 my argument is the basketball gods came back and they actually ended up favoring the Cavs, which is very surprising of the basketball gods to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you in a sense that last year, look at the Cavs. The fortune they had. I think Kyrie and Love go down, and then I think some comments are made. Obviously, you guys have a bit of a rivalry, so to speak, with the Warriors, too, and there's some comments made between both of your teams. And I I remember in the preseason reading about it, and they're basically saying that, you know, it's not their fault that, you know, guys were hurt on other teams and and things of that nature. And then you you fast forward to this season, and, and players on their team start getting hurt. And then you fast forward to the finals, and then Bogut goes down. But nobody really says anything about it. And then there's there's that moment in time, like you said before, where their owner or GM or whoever starts speaking on their, their team and basically saying that they're light years, light years light ahead years. of the rest of the NBA and no and, yeah. and they'll never catch up. Yeah. I couldn't believe he said that, honestly, as an <laughs> NBA player. Even if it's true, I don't feel like you should speak on that. 
But then, I think that's, a, I think that's I a, maybe a private the, thing, right? That's a private thing. Maybe you say yeah. to people in your front office, but I, you say I just, that to your homies. Yeah, uh, I just think there's like doors, a not to the USA Today. <laughs> right. I think there's like a level of respect that you should always have for people you're competing against, because you know this. I, I, I certainly know this. Like you can be on top for a long time. You can be on top for a second. You you can be close to the top and never get there. Like it's a very fluctuating and fluid process. And uh, we certainly saw that play out. Yeah. CJ, hang tight with me for one second. I want to tell my listeners about SoFi. It's draft season, and I know a lot of guys are thinking about their careers. After all, the draft is a job fair, and everyone wants the best opportunity they can get. SoFi helps people save money by refinancing their student loans at lower rates. Members also get perks like one-on-one career coaching. Everybody wants more from their career, NBA or otherwise. Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SOFI.com slash legal. All right, back to CJ. I have, a, I have a question about our series. You know, you guys were a very, I would call, describe you guys as a very confident group. I, you know, before we played you on the playoffs, I, I read some comments that, you know, we were the team you guys wanted to play in the first round and all that. When those injuries happened to Blake and Chris, what was the dialogue internally in your locker room amongst the players? I think internally we we understood that you guys had lost two very very important pieces to your team, but at the same time what we talked about was that you know they're still very capable of beating us. Like we've we've been outscored by their bench on various occasions. They're still quality NBA players, and what's scary is that, like you said before, a lot of guys said this is the team we wanted to play, so we knew you guys were looking forward to playing us and. When star players go down, I've been through it before, where you're on the bench just waiting for your opportunity. And that's what you fear most is, like, guys that are hungry trying to prove themselves in the NBA because then they have nothing to lose at all. You know what I mean? People people will start to say that, you know, we should we should win in seven or we have a chance to win now. So I know as you guys are reading that, I was telling our guys, like, look, these guys are still NBA players. They're still quality guys. And that just means J.J.'s going to get more touches. Austin's going to be more aggressive. DeAndre's going to be more aggressive. So so on and so forth. So I think we understood that we have an opportunity here to to compete, and and you guys are at a disadvantage due to injuries. But we wanted to make sure we didn't blow it. And that game, I think it was uh, game six at home. I think that was the last game. Game yeah, six. Yeah, game six. We we kind of made a run at the end. Yeah, you guys made that run at the end, and I'm thinking uh, we do not want to go game <laughs> seven in LA. Any means necessary, we win tonight. We do not want to go there. I'm glad you brought this point up about sort of guys on the bench waiting for that opportunity. Uh, for me, the sort of the turning point in my career was my third year. I hadn't played a ton up to that point, and Courtney Lee got hurt in the playoffs. I got to start eight straight playoff games, seven of which were against the Celtics. They were the defending champs. And really, for me, it was that moment that gave me the confidence that I belong. You had a similar situation last year, and I don't know what your mindset was, but I'm curious to ask you about it. You had a similar situation last year where you you had a great playoff run, and coming now into your third year this past offseason, did you feel sort of justified as an NBA player? Did you feel like you belonged, or was there moments where your your first couple of years where you're like, man, I'm better than all these guys on the court? Like, how, how was how was that mindset of yours? I think early on in my career, you're just frustrated because you're not playing you're not playing as much as you feel like you should you're watching guys in your draft class have success um i mean the guy i worked out with for pre-draft one player one rookie of the year so i mean 
this is a guy I played one-on-one against pretty much every day. So I knew I could compete at an elite level, but I just wasn't getting the opportunity. And then once I did, I ended up getting injuries and setbacks. So my mindset was that, you know, remember how all this feels and understand that an opportunity is going to come because I was a lottery pick. I knew mm-hmm. they give you two to three years, and then that's when they begin to label you and say, all right, he's this, he's that, and he's never going to be anything more than this. So I, I kind of looked at the playoffs as a stepping stone. Like, all right, I played well in the playoffs, but now I need to do it for an entire season. And once you know our front office and our organization began to kind of clear the way for me to get minutes, I said, all right, I'm going to get 30 minutes a game. Now I need to produce consistently, and I need to, you know, use this, you know, as motivation. Remember what it felt like when I was walking in the gym, knowing that I wasn't going to play. Walking in the gym, you know, got family here. My girl could be in town just knowing that I'm going to get a DMP tonight and everybody's here to see me and they're going to watch me clap. So every time I step on the court, that's kind of how I reminded myself. Like, remember what you came from. You know, remember how, how it felt to know that you're coming in this arena at 3 o'clock to, to work out because this is your game, because you're not going to play in the real game. And at each game, I would just tell myself, like, remember how it felt and as the season went on. I wanted to solidify myself in the NBA because people were beginning to label me as a bust or saying that I was undersized and I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that and they should have drafted me and me and Dame can't play together and all that stuff. So me and D was like, look, if we win and we kill, we'll shut all that shut all that noise down. And that's what we tried to do. You can cuss on this podcast, by the way. I felt like you were just about to say <laughs> a bad word and you like stopped yourself. It's fine, man. It's fine. This is not like going on live television or anything. Um you know, that's interesting. To, to me, the, the your sort of motivation and being a younger player, you're going into your fourth year, I'm going into my 11th. I can remember back and sort of having that motivation. It's it's funny now, and you, I, I know you'll experience this when you get to like your ninth or 10th year. Like you get to a certain point, man, and you almost have to like fabricate motivation because I, you, you're in this long enough and it becomes so redundant and you're going to be at the type of guy who, you know, is a 20-point scorer for years and years and you're going to have to figure out ways to stay motivated. I do want to ask you a question, you know, about your year. So your most improved player, you guys exceeded expectations, second round of the playoffs. Looking forward to next year for your team and, and yourself too, how do you follow that up? Where there, this year there wasn't that pressure, there wasn't that expectation. You know, you're gonna, you guys are going to be a lot of people's favorites to sort of be contenders in the West next year, depending on how free agency shakes out. Um, how do you follow that up? I think for us, it just goes back to the roots, you know, understanding that, you know, what got us here was hard work, preparation, you know, having that underdog mentality. Now we're not necessarily going to be underdogs. Teams are going to be, you know, looking forward to playing us just as we were looking forward to playing some of the some of the uh, bigger name teams with bigger name players in the NBA. So roles change, but our situation is still the same. Our goal is to go compete you know, get get deep in the playoffs and at some point contend for a title. So I think for, for me individually, you know, having a good year, like you said before, I'm going into my fourth year. So, I mean, people are just going to be question marks, you know, there's there's a chance I could get an extension. So so let's say I do get an extension, there's going to be, you know, obviously more pressure to perform at an elite level due to the fact that I'm going to be in Portland for a longer period of time and they're going to expect us to be able to win together. Dame and I coexisting, being able to lead our franchise in the right direction. So that's motivation right there. So, you know, to be one of the one of the premier guys of, of a of a franchise expected to consistently perform each day. So being able to do that for a year and years to come will be a change that allows me to stay motivated and then just, you know, understanding that you know, this game can be taken away at any time. Like we've all gone through different different types yeah. of injuries in our career. 
you know, mine being more so, you know, lower extremities breaking the foot and then breaking the fracture of my finger. So I understand that, you know, the game does get monotonous at times. It does feel like a job at times. But, you know, I'm here interning in, in, in New York City and understanding that these people are working normal jobs where they're at desk, you know, and, and, and having to have lunch breaks. Like for us, we eat lunch when we finish working out <laughs> or whenever we want throughout the day. Now having yeah. to schedule lunch break and having meetings and yeah, you know, having to squeeze in my workouts at seven a.m. instead of being a workout whenever I want. I don't want to live that life. I like <laughs> the life I live now, to where yeah. I can get up, work out, and have thirteen hours left in the day if I if I work out early enough. And I understand that it's a privilege to play this game and be able to provide for your family. So I want to play for as long as I can at an elite level and whatever motivation it takes. You know, in the future, I'll use it. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? All you have to do is remember these two letters, J.J. That's actually one letter twice. Now, keep listening, and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal, and no one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring you the best ingredients, all right to your door. Even better, each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients, and the meals can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Now comes that part about the three free meals I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash JJ. Think about it. That's three meals free just by adding in my name. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash JJ. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You mentioned uh, you and Dame coexisting. It, it's interesting to me when it, when you look at your team, like on paper, you guys have a lot of similar skill sets. You're similar sized. Somehow you guys make it work. One of the things you said in your uh, your acceptance speech for the most improved player, something about you know Dame is like the one star where you know if if you get it going, like he lets you go, and he doesn't feel like he has to take it back from you. Uh, can you just? kind of touch on your relationship with him and how you guys make it work on the court yeah d and i have been been friends since since i was in college we actually met through a mutual friend in college and began kind of texting and i was just bouncing questions off of him asking him about the nba asking him about his transition because he went to a small school he had he had fractured his fifth metatarsal as well and you know i just like to ask questions because i feel like you ask questions and you get answers and you can kind of better yourself and it just so happens that we ended up you know getting drafted to the same team I think the first time we met was um, the, the night of the lottery, the night they announced the, announced the lottery. And he kept telling me I was going to be a lottery pick. And I was like, man, I'm just trying to get drafted in the first round, honestly, because I had gotten hurt. I wasn't sure what, what teams were saying about me. And he already knew just based based on what he was hearing from from our organization. But as we became friends, you know, it stemmed back to, you know, having that respect of, what we both come from, coming from a small school, having mm-hmm. to earn everything that, that you receive, not being given anything, having to go through doubts, having to prove people wrong and kind of solidify yourself at this level. We we generally, and this is like since as sincere as possible, I know a lot of people you know, may not get along with their teammates. We generally want to see and genuinely want to see each other succeed and have success. Like, I'm happy for him. If he makes a song, I like it. I send him, like, yo, I like that song. Or if he has a commercial, <laughs> I genuinely, like, am happy for him. I've even... You know, being on the scene 
for some of his commercials and seen it. And we're, like, happy for each other's success. Even on the court, you know, we work out together in the summertime. We spend a lot of time together. We go to the movies. We do all that stuff, you know, normal 24-, 25-year-olds do, whereas a lot of teams, you know, they, they got families or they're in their 30s. And we, we don't have that. So we we spend crazy amounts of time together and still enjoy each other's company enough to that even when we get on the court and, and something's not going right, we can talk to each other. You know, in a forceful manner, he can he can curse me out if necessary. I can curse him out and make sure we're on the same page. And when he gets going, I tell him like, "Yo, you got to take this game over. Don't worry about me getting shots. You go. We we need buckets. We need it's Dame time. We need you to shoot thirty footers, whatever it takes to keep us in this game. And when I get it going, he he gonna tell me like, "Yo, I'm coming to you. I'm tired. I'm this or I'm that. Or you got the hot hand. We gonna feed you until you get cold." And I say it's rare because there's been times in the season, you know, against the Wizards, coach. Coach draws up a play for Dame. He's denied. We call a timeout. Come back to the come back to the huddle, and Coach draws up a play for me, and nobody says anything. Everybody looks looks at Dame like, and Dame's like, okay, like cool, like go to CJ. I knocked down the, the shot to send us in overtime against the Wizards, and nothing is said about it. But I know a lot of other star players would have said, no, nah, f that, you know, fuck that, Coach. Give me the ball. You know what I'm saying? Even though they're putting two people on you out of bounds and it's tough for them to get it in. Right. Some guys would kind of force that action, whereas he's like, you know, I trust you enough to go make a play and I can live and die with your result. For those listening to the podcast, what CJ described just now is, in my opinion and in my experience, a very rare thing to have two star players that get along that well. I mean, it sounds like you guys don't have a ton of issues. And, and you mentioned sort of the forceful conversations within a game. To me, that's the sign of a healthy relationship. You, you also mentioned the, the age thing, and I think that plays a huge part in it. You guys are kind of at, at the same stage in your lives, and, and you're, you're kind of able to get along both on and off the court because of that. Would you agree that's, a, that's probably a, as big a factor as anything? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is that we're at the same trajectory in terms of age. You know, 24, 25, same interests, same hobbies. We both like to shop. We can do that type of stuff off the court. And the fact that we knew each other before we were teammates, I think that also helps because, you know, you, you can get this picture painted of a guy before you meet him based on what you hear and how he's perceived. But once you get to know a person outside of basketball, you get to meet their families, you understand their values and what they stand for, then that's when you, you really feel comfortable with challenging somebody because you understand that, look, I respect you just as much as you respect me, but if we want to get to this point, this is the, these are the things we're going to have to do, and this is how we're going to have to act, and we're going to have to hold each other accountable. So you know, there'll be games where D's like, look, man, you got 12 points, you got four shots, bro. You got you, you playing like a hoe. You need to go out here and be aggressive. You need to get yeah. the job done. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how we do it. Uh, my next question, this is separate. Where where do you go shopping for your suits? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you're all dude. You're always you're always dressed sharp. I'll say that. I always see you after the game. You're always dressed sharp. You got your little affectatious stuff. You know your lapel pins and your pocket squares and all that. I respect it. <laughs> I respect it. You're a suited man. I appreciate that. You are a suited man. I appreciate that, man. Hey, my my mom. I got so many suits. My mom gets gets mad at me like you don't need any more suits you have enough i'm like mom you told me i need to dress nice and carry myself a certain way don't get mad when i'm buying all these suits (laughs) you're listening to the vertical podcast with jj reddick i want to tell you about indochino indochino is reinventing men's fashion you can customize the details you want you pick your lining lapels personal monogram and more there's 14 unique measurements that go into making a suit that fits you perfectly 
Also, check out their made-to-measure dress shirts and men's accessories. When you look good, you'll feel good, and you'll feel confident. Your look, your way. So here's the deal. The code is JJ, and there's a money-back guarantee. Today, my listeners get any premium suit for just $399. That's up to 50% off at Indochino.com when entering JJ at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. There's no reason not to try your first custom-made suit with a deal this good. That's Indochino.com. Use the promo code JJ for any premium suit for just $399 and free shipping. Indochino, your look, your way. All right, back to CJ. Yo, so yeah, I watch a lot of NBA basketball, and uh, anytime you guys are on television, the announcers, whether it's you know your your home broadcast or whether it's a nationally televised game, and it's Mark Jackson or John Barry or somebody like that, everybody always describes you as sort of a score, like a pure score. The guy just gets buckets. Uh, for the people that listen to this podcast, can you just elaborate on the mindset of a score? I think. It stems from my childhood, just aggressively just trying to leave my imprint on the game. Now, early on, my family, my mom, my dad, my brother told me, if you want to make it in the, in the NBA, you got to be really good at something. And my shot was good, my handle was good, my passing was good, but I wasn't really great at anything. So I said, I'm going to become a, as good of a scorer as possible so that I can make it to the NBA because I'm not the best shooter. Like I'm, I was like 38%. I wasn't like... You know, I wasn't shooting 48 like you, and my handle wasn't quite as tight as Kyrie's, and my passing wasn't like Rondo. So I said, if I can put the ball in the hole in every in every way, from threes to floaters to quick finishes around the basket, then they're going to have to play me. So, like, when I step on the court, my mindset is to aggressively attack every play. And my team will get on me sometimes when I'm passive or I'm looking to pass. They always tell me, be in score mode all at all times. When I step on that court, be in scores mode, and when it's not there – then that's when you make the right play and pass. But when you're looking to pass, it doesn't really work. So for me, it's get a shot any way possible, create space, get a shot, whether that be in transition, catch and shoot, off screens, pick and roll when I get the big on me and I can kind of freeze him and pull up or manipulate him and make a play. I'm thinking catch the ball and attack and make something happen every time. From someone that has guarded you quite a bit, I can say that that is a mindset that I feel. Anybody who who guards a score feels that. Like when you get the ball, I'm like, okay, CJ's gonna CJ's gonna try to make something happen. Like he's trying to get a bucket right now, and uh, and it's it, it's it's a challenge. It's different from guarding even guys who, you know, maybe average the same amount as you twenty a game. That they just get it in a different way. The way you get it, it is sort of an act of aggression, and it's tough to guard. You've mentioned your your mom and your family a couple times. I heard this story. I don't remember where I heard the story, but I heard a story that you you told your mom, "Mom, I got you. You can stop working." And then you had a bad game, and she told you, "Should I start working again?" Is that is that a true story? <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. It was actually we played the Chicago Bulls, and I, that was my first game of the season, scoring under ten points. I had like fifty or sixty straight games of, of double digits. And she calls me, and I'm like, what What does she want? Like, it's late. She's like, everything all right? And I'm like, I'm good. She's like, well, I see y'all won, but I said, you didn't do well individually, basically. Like, what's going on? I'm like, mom, I'm on a road trip. Like, it's just, just a normal road trip. How you feeling? Like, are you sick or anything? I'm like, no, I'm not sick. I mean, I feel, I feel like I should after 60 NBA games. You know, I'm a little <laughs> tired, a little worn down. And then she's like, all right, well, if you're not sick, then there's no excuse told me to quit my job and you take care of me and, and you're doing a really great job you're taking care of me but if that's how you're going to play 
I think maybe I should go back to work because that's not going to cut it. Oh man, that's great. <laughs> a little motherly love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, what, it is admirable what you do, and and uh, I think for a lot of NBA guys, myself included, one of the the greatest feelings we have as sort of adults and NBA players is just the ability to. Uh, in some way, take care of our family, whatever that may be. Uh, before we get to this week's four-on-four four sponsored by SoFi, uh, I want to ask one question to you. This is a fan question from Twitter. It has to do with the NBA draft. This is NBA draft week. This is from Jamie Roberts. And the question is, what do players entering the NBA lack the most, and what should they focus on more in college to be better? From a pure basketball perspective or just in general? Well, we could talk about both because I think that's a two-sided question for sure. I think from a non-basketball perspective, I think college athletes coming out, you don't understand the type of demands you're going to get in the NBA off the court. The on-the-court lifestyle, you you adapt and adjust on the fly, but the off-the-court from mandatory appearances to obligations to you know, having to sign thousands of basketballs for your NBA team on media day to, you know, having to fit in, you know, NBA cares event at a hospital after a back-to-back when you land at 3 a.m. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you, you're not necessarily aware of or prepared for. And then there's the financial obligations that you have. You know, you have so more true. money, you have more time, you have more power, but you also have more expenses. Maybe you've never ba- balanced a checkbook before. Maybe you've never paid your own bills before. Some of these one-and-done guys, I'm, I'm sure they, they have no idea how to, you know, invest in their 401k, what the match is, you know, what they should be paying, you know, their agent versus their business manager versus their financial advisor. So I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside of playing that they don't know about. And then in terms of playing, I just think the biggest thing that they're probably not aware of is eating habits because you, you're eating. That's a good one. You know, on a, on a budget. Wendy's pizza oven, you know, that was how it was for me at a small school. Maybe pizza oven? Schools. What, what is pizza oven? Pizza oven is more like an East Coast thing. It's okay, like right. brick oven pizza. It's, like a, it's an Ohio or Pennsylvania thing? I've never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, Ohio, yeah, for sure. That's that's the first place I go to when I go home is pizza okay. oven. And, I mean, for most people, maybe it's Papa John's or whatever the case may be, but you're eating fast food yeah. at high levels. For sure. And when you get to the NBA, you got all these foods you can't even pronounce. Uh, early on in your career, and you and you don't like to look at you don't like the way it looks, or they start introducing you to sweet potato fries instead of fries, and you realize that that's good for you. So much of the adjustment, I think, is off the court, and and there's it's hard to say like how you could do that better in college. College is such a if there's a way to describe it, we talked about it at Duke, like collective responsibility. You're in this little bubble with a lot of people the same age as you. And then you get to the NBA and it's all about individual responsibility. You're in charge essentially of your own sort of brand yeah. and your own business. And I mean, if you're 19 years old, like you just don't, you just don't know. And so there's always, it seems like some learning experiences and it's, so it's really important to have good people around you. And then the same kind of thing with on the court, man, it's like, to me, there's no way you could ever simulate the speed, the physicality of an NBA game, and you you can't really improve or be prepared until you go through it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think you know we can tell them about finances. We can tell them about those late flights, you know, those back to backs, everything, the food. But until you experience it yourself, you're never really going to understand or be able to grasp the type of lifestyle you're going to be able to live 
being able to do whatever you want, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, after practice. Like, before, you had training table, you had obligations, you had homework. Now there's no homework. It's you got practice, and then your, your responsibility stopped there for a little bit. You can do whatever you want for X amount of hours. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough adjustment. Let's get to this week's 4-on-4, four four, sponsored by SoFi. Go to SOFI.com to learn how you can save money and make smarter financial decisions. CJ, you were the 10th pick in the 2013 NBA draft by the Portland Trailblazers. This week's 4-on-4 four four is CJ McCollum's four draft day memories. You can take wow. your time with this one. Mm, my four draft day memories, I'd say uh, being able to shake Davis there and that's a memory for sure. I think the second memory would be going through the you know the media craze in the back of you know doing all these interviews. Craig Sager had the, the style section, so being able to kind of sit down with Craig Sager and and kind of going over my outfit and why I chose this and why I chose that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, third would be. Uh, being able to speak to my GM and my my owner for the first time, you know, while you're back there and them telling you, you know, we're, we're happy we were able to get you. We told you we were going to get you in our meeting, and we just wanted to let you know how, how thankful we, we are and, and all that stuff. That was just great to be able to talk to them for the first time and have that interaction. And then lastly, of course, after the draft, you know, everybody remembers the, the parties afterwards if you're there. So, or maybe some people don't remember them, but for me, I do, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. I talked about my four draft day memories last week, and I probably should have mentioned the after party. Uh, that was a good memory for me. I don't think I slept. I don't think I slept, actually, and I went straight from sort of checking back into my hotel room, grabbing my bags at 6.30 in the morning, and getting on a plane to fly to Orlando for the press conference. That thing, they, they screwed you. My GMs told me, you know, you don't need to be out here for a week. You know, take your time. So... I've extended my stay a little longer, <laughs> went to Jersey, went back to where I did my pre-draft at and grabbed all my stuff, and then I ended up going home to Ohio and then flying out to Portland. That would have been nice. That would have been nice to actually have slept in and, and not had huge bags under my eyes at my initial press conference with the Magic. Uh, CJ, you have been an awesome guest. Again, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, thanks again. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. We'd like to thank today's guest, CJ McCollum. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SoFi, Indochino, and Blue Apron. Be sure to support them the way they support us. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.